and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a change or pivot in life. Today, we sit down with a special guest, Rebecca Fleischman, as part of our Forbes 30 for 30 series. And Rebecca has a really cool story. After being a teacher, a K through five teacher, she moved on to administration and now has different work. She worked for an organization called Child Mind, which uh, was all about children's mental health and psychology. And she talks to us about what she's learned from that, how she started and got so involved with this specific industry. And she also tells us what she's up to now. So if you want to find out more about Rebecca and what she's up to, it's a pretty amazing work. I'll link that down below. And before we jump into this, if you haven't given the show a rating or subscribe to it, please do so on whatever platform you're listening to. I hope you enjoy the show with Rebecca. Let's just go ahead and jump into it. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Are you in New York right now? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. I've been here the entire pandemic. Haven't left. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I know two NYU grads. One is you. The other is uh, Nastia Lukin. I don't know if that name rings a bell. But, uh, I feel like it, she's maybe an ice skater. Uh, gymnast. Yeah, close. Yeah, a yeah gymnast. close. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know impressive resumes the both of you have i would love if you could give us a uh start with kind of the foundation of where you grew up what your parents did and the potted version of how you became this person we see today yeah happy to so i'm from a small town in north central massachusetts um named groton called Groton. There's a Groton in every New England town, and that's the one fun fact I can ever give you about anything. Groton? Groton. G-R-O-T-O-N. Who is that guy? I have no idea. But Paul Revere rode through my town. So it's like old New England town, very, very small. Born and raised there. And um, I have one older sister and um, you asked what my parents do. My dad is a physicist and which is super cool. And my mom um, was always a stay at home mom, which was the best. And so I was raised in this really small town and I always knew that I wanted to live in New York and that I did not want to be in a small town. So I graduated and I made the bold choice of studying abroad my freshman year. So I moved to Paris mm. at, I wow. just turned 18. Like I was, uh, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. I was so terrified <laughs> all the time. Oh, it was so scary. Um, so I moved to Paris, spent a year there, and then I moved to New York. And it just, I just love New York. I'm one of those diehards. I think it's the best place on, on the planet. I, you know, I'll probably live here for the rest of my life. And um, kind of professionally, I never knew what I wanted to do. And that was always a really ambiguous thing for me. I, I was the kid who also never even wanted to go to college. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to feel confined or constrained. I liked school when I liked what I was learning about, but I didn't like school when it was something that I felt was um, just a class for the sake of a class or like Mm -hmm. a prerequisite because everyone has to take them. So, um, through my college career, I, I found my way by finding professors that I really enjoyed and finding people that I, I felt like I really connected with. And so that led me, um, and I've given you the super fast version of this, but it led me to, um, 
completing my undergrad in sociology was my major and a minor in public health and policy. And one of the professors that I had got me, um, kind of gave me this insider scoop. It's not insider scoop, but I thought it was um, <laughs> about um, a master's program at NYU's Wagner School of Public Service um, in, in health policy. And I was really fascinated by policy work, really fascinated by health policy. Um, and I started this, uh, this graduate degree while I was an undergrad. And um, then finished it at night in this really painful way. I was working full time in the school setting. So I was getting to work at six in the morning and and working for 14 hours and then going to class. Painful. Um, But so, so worth it. And that was Mm. the thing that kind of toggled me on to what I'm doing now, which is all this health work um, and kind of applying policies into real life. And so that's really what the pathway was. It was not at all intentional. It was... uh, not accidental, not not intentional either. Um, I've really just tried to follow what feels like the right thing. And then when it doesn't feel right anymore, make another decision that feels right. And that's sort of the guiding principle of all the, the career stuff. Wow, that's really phenomenal advice. I would love to hear how you got into teaching because it seemed, I mean, it's related, oh, but tell us yeah. your experience. So teaching um, is the hardest job that's ever, I mean, the most important work. And I was a teacher. Um, this is a little bit shameful, but I'll, but I'll share it because we're being transparent about careers. But I became a teacher because I loved kids, but I also didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I had immense respect for teachers. I feel like um, a, a person who can manage a classroom can really manage anything. And so I went into it with this incredible amount of respect for the profession probably not enough acknowledgement of what it means to be a good teacher, but certainly a lot of um, aspiration. And so I lasted all of a year um, as a third grade teacher in Harlem. It was not the career for me, but I was there and I learned a lot. And um, I learned some really valuable things about what I wanted. So I loved seeing the impact of, um, of work with kids and families. I didn't love being in the classroom with them all day long, but I loved having those relationships. And so that was kind of a cue like, okay, I'm, I'm hovering around the right space, but I'm not in my career path. And I think there's something so wonderful about career teachers really investing in their craft and honing their skill. Um, that wasn't for me. And so what I ended up doing uh, was transitioning into a role within the same system where I was managing IEP, so individualized education plans or programs for kids um, who maybe had behavioral or academic needs. And that was so gratifying. And I loved it because I was working with kids and their families, building these close relationships to understand what support they needed and trying to advocate for that. And I really saw myself as an advocate for the kids um, where I was liaising with the uh, Department of Education to make sure that kids were getting services that they needed. I was supporting teachers and supporting families, kind of making that whole orchestra uh, come together. And that was super gratifying. So teaching was the way that I got into that. Uh, but it wasn't, it, teaching was not not the end of the road for me, unfortunately, I think. Mm. Um, hats off to to those people who teach for decades. I think uh, it's a stronger breed than I am to do that. So I've never taught Rebecca. I'm curious in you, from your perspective, what are the qualities that make a good teacher? Um, you have to be incredibly selfless. I think you also have to be super smart. Teachers are the smartest people I've met. Um, and 
really quick. And the reason I say really quick is because you have 30 kids in your classroom. Each child is different and each child has their own needs. And every teacher that I've met is so invested in making sure that every child leaves at the end of the school day with a positive experience and having their needs met. And then you also, you have the kids, but then you also have the families and the parents and parents have their own needs, right? Cause they're, they're concerned about their kids. They want to celebrate the wins. They want to address the concerns. Um, and so teaching is, is an around the clock job. Um, you know, they, teachers make themselves available. There are also demands from administration. They have to be compliant with so many things, whether it's a school specific rule or it's some regulatory something that they have to do. And so I think when you think about, um, kind of the, the weight of what a good teacher is able to to do and the role that they have and then all of the things that they have to be responsible for and then they start their day so early and they have to do that all before I've even had a cup of coffee it's like mm. I, I just think you know hats off to teachers I say it all the time I say it to, to anyone I can talk to um, I think that that is the most impactful work that can be done we don't pay them enough I could get on a soapbox about it I'll spare you, <laughs> but I think they're just amazing. No, I, it's so interesting. I mean, it's not a, a new concept that teachers are underappreciated and undervalued. And it's like, at some point, I feel like we just got to figure the problem out. You know, like these people from a parent's perspective, are you like being around one kid? We have, we have one child. She's cute as a button. She's really cute. (laughs) Uh, She's a lot of fun. But that's hard enough work. I can't imagine spending hours in a classroom with 30 kids and how emotionally taxing that is. It's just like, anyway, again, soapbox. But how many many years did you spend in in the more uh, administrative role you mentioned after, after your teaching? Gosh, I was there for, I think I was there for two years. Um, I was there for two years. I worked, um, I moved to a school that I was at for, for those two years. Um, and that was amazing. It was so stressful, but it was amazing. Um, and that role had me kind of interacting with all of these folks, making uh, process improvement in a school to really mm-hmm. make sure that we were supporting our kids. Um, there were some issues that um, you know we needed to work on. We needed to make sure that we had better identification processes. So a child should not sit in a school for a full year and then at the end of the year be like, oh, maybe we could provide them with some extra support, right? You want to catch things early and you want to make sure that you're um, being really communicative with families about, about all that. So I was there for two years um, and then it was time to move on new environment so you mentioned that a big priority of of yours was to be an advocate for the kids and um your current work with the child mind institute obviously has a lot to do with that i would love for you to talk about that but then also what are your origins of wanting to be in this line of work Why, why are you so passionate about that I, so I'll start there. Um, I don't know why. I've always loved kids. Um, I've always loved working with kids. Any, most of my summer jobs growing up, everything from a camp counselor to um, doing some babysitting work, I've just always loved kids. Um, when I was in college, I worked with America Reads, um, and that was great. I worked in a kindergarten ca- uh, classroom, and I loved it. And I also had a job, a work-study job that was um, – giving tours of, of NYU 
to students who um, come from schools with low college matriculation rates. And so that was also really interesting work. And I think all the signs were just pointing me in the direction of go work with kids. And that was reinforced by um, a lot of the policy work that I studied in grad school. The the professor who really kind of got me on the on the track to mm-hmm. the graduate program I did, um, one of the things he taught us and kind of reinforced over and over is that you have to know the rules before you break them. And so it was really important to me to get experience in the settings in which I was I was mm-hmm. eventually going to be impacting policy. Um, and what I've upon reflecting on my career, um, you know, I started in the classroom and then I worked at a more administrative level and I went to um, a nonprofit organization where I was administering these programs to school and community setting. I've since made another career move. I'm now working um, in the insurance space for a company that's really trying to re-envision, reimagine healthcare. And and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of health policy work within that. And so what I like to think is that even though there's not um, some broader strategy here, Maybe there is, uh, and I just wasn't aware of it. But now that I'm kind of far enough out from my um, from my grad school and undergrad days, I can see it, and, and it was always there. I just didn't know. Um, but there's kind of this like movement of getting the the ground up experience versus coming in. You know, no one likes the person who talks without the experience of what they're trying to change. So um, I don't want to be that. I want to know what, uh, you know, if you're going to make a policy that affects kids and families, let's know exactly what, what it would feel like on the receiving end. And so mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. And I, that's probably, there's probably some process and, and thinking that is happening in the back of my brain that I'm just not aware of. But as I kind of reflect on what my career has been, I think there's, there's some more, there's more continuity than I thought there was. Um, you asked another question and I totally about, lost it about child mind. I would love, I would love to hear about your work there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there for four years. Um, super neat place. And, um, they, they do a lot of work around, um, clinical care for kids and families who come to their brick and mortars, um, cutting edge research. And where I sat and really built up was, um, the school and community-based programs, providing treatment for kids struggling uh, with symptoms of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, depression, and ADHD and and disruptive behavior disorders. And so that was amazing um, because I was working with social workers and psychologists and school psychologists to um, build these programs that bring expert clinicians into schools during the school day. And so what you create is an environment where um, you're you're taking this highly stigmatized yet highly effective treatment um, and you are removing those barriers. So going to kids during the school day, so there's no travel time. And these programs are supported by philanthropic dollars, so there's no um, cost associated with it. Mm. And it's happening in the school setting, which is um, traditionally a friendlier, safer setting for families versus going to another site uh, of care. And so all these pieces come together and you're able to access kids that might not otherwise have access to these services that are so life-changing. And so um, in the time that I was there, we expanded services outside of New York City, did some work in Newark, New Jersey, um, a lot of work down in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, with capacity building programs to train mental mm. health providers in the community to deliver these services, and then opening a site in the San Francisco Bay Area and launching out there. And so there's a lot of good work to be done. And I left uh, right at the start of the pandemic, a little, little bit into the pandemic, and so was able to support with some of the transition to virtual, um, and then and then made moves out. But 
you know, definitely, I think I'm always going to look back on the work that I did um, there and feel like that was a career highlight because the work Mm -hmm. was really um, so gratifying. The people that I worked with were so amazing. Um, The social workers and psychologists that I worked with on those teams to deliver the services are just I mean, they are true angels. Um, mm. And the administrative team that, that I worked with is also just beyond incredible. Still still keep in touch with all of them because they're just so wonderful. So that was really, really a, a career highlight and, um, you know, work I'm really, really proud of. Yeah. I you said PTSD for kids. Mm-hmm. I, I guess this comes from a place of ignorance, but that to me is PTSD seems like just uh, a military veterans condition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How does a it lot apply of to people kids? think that. Yeah. So, um, PTSD is, I'm going to give you kind of the, the cliff notes. And then I think, um, always, always good to talk to a, um, clinician for all of the cool details. There's a lot that goes into PTSD, but, um, it's a disorder of, of recovery and, um, it's subjective. So two people can experience the same event. Um, and one may recover, um, and not experience any impairment to functioning and another might develop symptoms of PTSD. And so that's really, you want to uh, watch for it and then treat it when it does happen. And so, um, there are all types of events that can, uh, serve as a traumatic event for anyone. Um, and so when we were working with kids, we had a lot of instances of, um, loss of a loved one, Um, domestic violence, um, shootings, community violence, um, natural disasters. So uh, kids who lived through Hurricane Sandy, Superstorm Sandy in 2012, um, absolutely could have been a traumatic event for them. Um, Shelter stays, housing instability, um, kind of when you think about the the core areas of need that anyone has, if if there's instability to those, that can serve as a traumatic event. So uh, we worked with a um, in a group setting to treat kids. And what's super cool about that is you can have um, various traumatic events be treated in a setting together. And so we were able to really reach a lot of kids all at once. So the way you make decisions seems very intuitive, uh, but also sounds like you put a decent amount of thought into, uh, obviously thought into it, yes. but it's, it, it seems like your self-awareness is, uh, acute in the sense that, you know, obviously as it's, it's you reflecting, but you talking about your experience with kids and, oh my gosh, I, I love this experience, but I don't like being with the classroom every day. So to walk us through your decision to, to leave child mind to, uh, during a pandemic to a new industry away from the nonprofit sector, yeah. uh, how did you make that decision? Well, that was probably one of the bolder decisions that I've made. Um, and, you know, for what it's worth, for anyone who's considering a job change during a pandemic, kind of challenging. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, when will I ever see the office that I go to? I don't know. Maybe yeah. in a year from now. Like, who actually knows? Um, so definitely challenging. It just all I can say about it is it felt like it was time for the right, like the next thing. Um, I had built these programs that I felt really, really proud of. And I also had built this team that I felt so confident in to lead the charge that I, I kind of made myself obsolete in a good way. Um, you know, and, and I 
really, I, I think there are people who have kind of like delegation issues. And then there's me who's like, let me work myself out of this job because that means that things are running and I've done what I'm here to do. Um, I also have identified in myself that I have a passion for new programs, kind of nascent stage growth, I think is where I feel like I can use my creativity and my um, my project management skills the most. And so programs had reached scale um, or were at, at a place where they were approaching scale. And I know the pandemic kind of throws a wrench in some of that and things are probably going to change um, in ways that I no longer know because I'm not there. But um, I think that in acknowledging that in myself, it felt like it was time for some new kind of adventure. And I, mm. I don't love change, but I do like to always be really engaged in the work that I'm doing. And I, um, for better or for worse, I also love working. So it just felt like it was time to do something a little bit different. And I struggled with that decision for a while because I felt a lot of guilt about leaving the programs that I, that I had been such a, a part of developing and growing. Um, but I sat with that for a little while and I'm also trying to be just kind of less of a people pleaser. And when I put all of that together, it decided that it was time to make a, make a change. And so now the insurance industry. Yeah. So what am I doing now? So I am um, leading the charge on the behavioral health program um, at a very cool um, late stage startup. I guess technically they're eight years old. Um, and working on in-housing behavioral health operations and deciding, working on the, the broader strategy for the organization. And what I'm enjoying about it is, um, for one thing, there's more reach and there's more, there's more impact. So it's impact in a different way. You don't see, you don't get on the phone with a teacher or with a parent and hear about the impact of the program that you provided them, right? I think it's, it's a different type of impact, but there's an there's a more policy oriented impact where can you develop a program that integrates behavioral and medical um, to provide members with best in class care that is patient centered, that doesn't um, cost an arm and a leg and come with a ton of stigma and that can make it less clunky or confusing. So that's what we're trying to do. And I am not going to pretend for one second, like insurance is my my dream and I'll be able, I think for some people it is, and that's great. Um, but what I am doing is gathering all of these. I think there's, there's so much value in, uh, being effective in different environments and understanding different environments. And so this is the piece where I think back to that grad school professor who says, know the rules before you break them. And mm. I like to think that I'm kind of on this lifelong pursuit to understand these various domains and dynamics and then, and be effective in them, right? I want to kind of um, go in and, and my goal every day when I go to work is to show up and be a value add. And that can be a small thing and that can be a big thing. Um, but that's the goal every single day. And then at a certain point, I'm going to say, well, it's time for the next thing. And I'm going to go. And I don't know when that is. That could be in 10 years from now, right? Like, I, I have no idea. Um, but I do know that I that there's valuable learning to be done. And I've, I'm certainly not done. I'm sure there's going to be another environment where I say, you know what? Maybe I'll go corporate next. Yeah. And I'll wear a pencil skirt. I don't know. That sounds terrible. I'm like, my body's itching just thinking about that as I sit here in sweatpants. But like, I don't know what that is, know, but it sounds know? terrible. Yeah. Like pantyhose and a pair of pumps. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, sounds terrible. But you know, I don't know. Maybe that will be the next thing. So it was, um, 
the other thing that's very cool about it is I'm the first person who's um, dedicated to doing this for this company. And um, it's a nascent stage program. And so that is my thing. That's like, great, it's a new thing. And you need someone to think about it 24 seven, not 24 seven, eight hours a day and, and develop it and grow it. Great. I'm your girl for that. And so that's what I'm doing right now. This is a question. At least I think it's tough. How do you build a team that you don't need to be a part of anymore? I have realized, um, being a part of a sports team is in a lot of ways pretty easy. I think it's mostly like building the culture of that team, but everybody has such definitive job roles and there's a tight schedule and like whatever, as, as a peer elected leader, there's really not an overwhelming amount of things for you to do. But outside of that, building a team for me has been harder. And even though I've read books and put thought into it. I just, it's, it's such a tough problem. So how did you do it? Yeah. Um, it's a really good question. I think one thing that's critical about it is make team leadership the majority of your job. So I think there are a lot of people who are technically savvy in the, in the role that they do, they get promoted to lead a team and then they, they bring that, but the, the leadership qualities and the management qualities of people that's something that needs to be bolstered. And so there has to be a shift there that, that, you know, your time needs to reflect your priorities. That's the calendar exercise. We all know we need to do all the time, right? Like, are you spending the percentage of, the, of your week doing the things that you should be doing? And so I think investing in the team needs to be represented on your calendar. The other thing, and I think this is the hardest thing, but it's the most important is, um, one thing I always tried to do, um, if someone on my team came to me with a question or they were looking for guidance, um, was to be a non-reactive, right? Like nothing is an emergency. So take that off the table. Um, there should never be any fear. There should never be any any kind of concern involved. But the second thing, most important is ask your team, what do you think about it? How do you want to solve the problem? Mm. What do you think is, what do you recommend we do? And whenever I did that, it was, it, it took the power back. I was just there for the affirmation or the validation. And you, you scaffold that, you build it over time. Um, you know, you, I think a lot of that boils down to building confidence in people that they don't need you. And mm. so when they don't need you and they can operate um, without you, then great. Then you're, then you're good to go. It takes time. You have to, you have to build it. Um, but I think that that's something that is hard to do. And I remember when I first um, led a team, I would be on my email constantly if I was off for a day answering every question because I didn't want anyone to be without the support that they needed. And that was um, learning that I was in fact a bottleneck where if I left for a day, um, folks didn't have what they needed, which meant that I wasn't doing my job. So um, when I was able to take days off and no one needed me, then I was like, oh, I, I actually am obsolete now. This is fantastic. Yeah. My natural tendency as a team member or manager, I guess, is almost like um, too high of trust. Like, hey, you're a part of the team. You can do this. And so I would like almost be discouraging of people asking me because I, like just my response wouldn't be super encouraging. So I'm trying to do a better job of understanding that there's certain steps to take for those people to understand that they have my trust fully. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, it's you sound- so hard. 
Yeah. It's hard. Uh, one thing that I struggled with a lot was being overly permissive. Um, and I learned, you know, I'm definitely not perfect at this and it's, it's a hard thing, but I never want to be mean. I'm a people pleaser. We established, um, I never want to be mean and I never want to make people feel uncomfortable and I never want to make people feel impositioned. And so, um, that's, that's what I'm always trying to work on. And so there have been moments where I am too permissive because I want to make people happy. And um, that ends up all of a sudden, you know, you extrapolate that out and you have someone who's chronically late for work or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. missed a deadline, right? Like, and so there are things that are these tendencies that are really hard because that's how you are um, like socially, right? And so that kind yeah. of comes into the workplace and you have to build in stop gaps and corrections, but oh my God, it's so hard. And you, and then you care. If you're an empathetic person, you care a lot, you, you know, it's hard, um, yeah. but I enjoy it. It's always a challenge, but um, you know, hire the right people and then let them, let them do their thing, I think. I think that's the secret sauce. Yeah. Rebecca, what are your goals? Let's talk about specifically your career goals. Oh gosh. What are my career goals? <sighs> it could even um, just be like, what, what effect do you want to leave a legacy? Yeah. I, you know, for, for the first time I actually, this is really ambiguous to me. So in every environment I've been in, I think I've kind of hinged some of my goals based on that environment and then I, I've made a shift and I'm like, oh, now I need new goals because I don't I'm I don't have a five year plan, really. Um, and so when I was in my last company, I was like, oh, maybe like maybe I'll become an executive director of a nonprofit that I feel really passionately about. And that's still in the back of my, of my mind, something that I would really, really love doing um, now that I'm in insurance. Um, do I want to run an insurance company? No. Uh, so I think I need a new goal. Ultimately, what I want to do is work that I feel really good about that feels um, ethical and impactful and helpful and actually is informed by the people who benefit from whatever the service is. Um, you know, I don't want to get on my on my pedestal and kind of tout something that I don't that is not responsive to the people I'm working with or for really. Um, Otherwise, no, I think I just, I really love leading a team. I think I would be super happy if I was always leading um, a team that I felt really good about. And that would make me so happy. In terms of um, other, like the the harder metrics, what title I want, um, what salary I want to have. I don't know. I mean, mm. I mean, salary, like give me more money. <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think there are some people who wake uh, up with a dollar amount and they're like, by this age, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, yeah. but will I be happy? And happiness counts for so much. Um, and I think you can be happy at work. And so that's something I always strive for as well. So um, I don't know. I'll get back to you. I'll shoot you an email yeah, <laughs> like, no, you know, I, when I come up with goals. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think that's good. And, and not having a definitive endpoint. Sometimes I feel like uh, can can actually grow your dream. That's that's yeah. that's my profound thought for the day, Rebecca. Right there. I but, like it. You know, I like well, that I'm like, receiving it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm curious when you look over the course of your career trajectory and how you've gotten to where you are. What advice have people given you, or have you learned that? Let's say three pieces of advice that you could share with us. 
Yeah. Okay. I've had some I've had some really strong um, female mentors over the course of time, um, largely informal, but I think that all of this comes from them. So the first one is um, Shine Theory. So um, Shine Theory is basically just giving praise to the people who deserve it. And I think uh, mm. there's a lot of uh, toxicity in work cultures where folks don't do this enough. And um, it's really powerful, particularly um, among women. And I, I can really only speak for being a woman. So that's often the perspective that I talk from as um, when I talk about being in the workplace. Um, but there's something so powerful about publicly say you're in a, in a meeting with 12 people and there's a good idea shared and shouting out from across the table and that credit goes to this person because they came up with that and that's a really wonderful idea and creating that culture of of shine i think is um it's not something that everyone does and once you're tuned to it you notice how much people don't do it and how willing people are to i love use that, that rebecca ideas. i love that <laughs> right? let me practice it right now <laughs> See, there you go. There you yeah. go. And I think for one thing, you make someone's day so quickly. Um, yeah. But it's also like that's the that's the culture that we all want to work in. You want to be acknowledged for your ideas. You want to be acknowledged for the work that you put in. No one wants to be kind of um, irrationally blown up, right? Like I don't need to be told that I'm I'm the best thing that's ever happened to anyone, but I do want to be told like, hey, I acknowledge you for for the hours that you put into this product and it came out really well, and and you're strengthening our mission by doing this. That's what I want to hear. Um, so Shine Theory. Um, the second is related, but I had um, someone tell me to that as you get further in your career, you need to be more mindful of thanking people. And so like if someone gave you some information about the way something works that allowed you to then go make a decision for something that you're doing that might be related or unrelated, um, go circle back and thank them for that. And they won't they probably won't wow. notice if you don't thank them, but they will notice if you do. And um, and that brings to the third piece, which is invest in relationships. And I think all this is about relationship uh, development and management. And if you have strong relationships with people, I mean, one thing, if you're willing to do something for someone that is a little bit out of your way, the next time you need something, it's not even a question, right? You just, you build that exchange back and forth. I also feel like that's a really good way to build respect. And then if you don't have bandwidth for something, you can say, hey, I know you need this, but I, I need another week. And mm. there's, it's, there's, no, there's no kerfuffle over anything because you've just, um, you have a really good track record and rapport. And so that's the big one that um, I always emphasize with people. And I think you can, you can get through a lot of really sticky work situations when you have um, a foundation of a relationship to, to lean on. So shine theory, thanking everyone, relationships. I feel like I just like recapped the golden rule, but for adults. <laughs> You're so wise, Rebecca. So wise. Uh, I love, I love where you focus. All those three were about relationships and it seems like, that is your main focus to your point earlier yep. and it's clearly working for you. So, um, I learned a lot from you and I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited for what's next and let us know if we can ever help you in any way. Oh, I mean, sure. I'll let you know. I'll be like, Hey, I need to pull in a <laughs> please, paper. Please. Can you get the Olympic team on the phone for something? <laughs> uh, let with things that I could actually help with. I would love, I would love to help, but yeah. Awesome. Uh, no, I appreciate yeah. your time, Rebecca. And it was an honor to meet you. Oh, it's great to meet you. Thanks for the, the really wonderful questions and, uh, you know, happy to chat all the time. <laughs>